Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Mullineau Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute, Dr. Kevin Karanad. On today's episode, we are discussing an experimental vaccine that could help fight the opioid epidemic with Dr. Sandy Comer. Uh, Dr. Comer is a professor of neurobiology in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University. She is the director of the Opioid Laboratory in the Division on Substance Use Disorders, and her current research focus is on the clinical testing of medications for treating opioid use disorder, methods to maximize the use of naloxone by opioid users, and evaluations of the comparative abuse liability of prescribed pain medications. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us, uh, Dr. Comer. And can you start the conversation for our listeners? We'd, we'd, we'd like to start off by learning a little bit on, you know, how did you get interested, how did you become interested in studying opioids? Oh, sure. Um, so I, uh, I guess my interest in studying opioids started in graduate school, <clears throat> where um, when when I started, I, I uh, was in the the uh, biopsychology program at the University of Michigan, and my uh, mentor was uh, Dr. Jim Woods, who's a, a really well known uh, behavioral pharmacologist, and. Um, at the time, there were three subtypes of opioid receptors. There's mu, delta, and kappa. And mu is the receptor that um, you know a lot of the abuse drugs act that we know about. You know, heroin and oxycodone, and and now fentanyl. <clears throat> um, and but we were we were interested in trying to find uh, an analgesic, so a pain medication that would. Um, provide effective pain relief, but would not have the abuse potential of, you know, uh, opioids like morphine. So um, I was, you know, tasked with trying to characterize the behavioral pharmacology of the Delta subtype of opioid receptor. So, um, you know, fast forward now, um, my interest in, in opioid pharmacology just continued throughout this entire period. And unfortunately, you know, we have, gotten to the place where we are now, where there was a lot of over-prescribing of pain medications, and now there's this huge population of people who are suffering from opioid use disorder. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely correct. And can you tell us a little bit about the concept of a vaccine and how that comes into play? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> so the, the concept with the vaccine is not uh, entirely new. Um, <clears throat> I did a my postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Minnesota, and one of the investigators there, um, Paul Pintel, had been developing a vaccine that was targeting nicotine, you know, to help with uh, cigarette smokers. So, um, and then not too long after that, uh, another group developed a vaccine for treating cocaine use disorder. So. The idea is that um, the vaccine would target a particular chemical structure. So in the case of nicotine, 
or for cigarettes, it would be nicotine and for cocaine, it would be cocaine. And <clears throat> so the vaccine uh, is given to a person who would um, generate antibodies that would target that chemical structure. And if someone you know, smoked a cigarette or used cocaine, then the antibody would bind to that molecule and prevent it from getting into the brain. So the opioid vaccine is conceptually the same. So the, the person would get vaccinated um, over a period of time, they would generate um, antibodies to the, um, to the opioid. And if someone chooses to use the opioid again, then the antibody would bind to the opioid and it becomes a large complex and it won't cross into the brain. Just stops the dopamine release to it. No, no kind of uh, positive benefit from it, it sounds like. Yeah. <clears throat> and it, so the, my, um, my interest in, in starting to study this just kind of happened by accident. I saw my colleague Paul Pintel at a conference and just sort of ran into him and I said, so, hey, Paul, what are you up to these days? Are you still working on your, your nicotine vaccine? And he said, yeah, we are, but we're also developing this opioid vaccine. <laughs> my first reaction was, why do we need an opioid vaccine? I mean, we have like, you know, all these great medications that are, you know, really useful for treating opioid use disorder, including buprenorphine and methadone and naltrexone. And I was just like, you know, I don't understand what the value of, a, of an opioid vaccine would be because, um, you know, it just seems like a strange concept. So the, the advantage actually of an opioid vaccine is there, there are multiple potential advantages. One is that um, we're hoping that it, it lasts for a long time. So, you know, once somebody becomes vaccinated, the antibody levels will um, remain sustained for several months, uh, if not longer. And that is not the case with any of the uh, existing treatment medications. So we have sustained release formulations of buprenorphine and naltrexone. The buprenorphine is a partial opioid agonist. Um, naltrexone is an antagonist or a, an opioid blocker. And they last for up to a month. Um, there are some formulations of buprenorphine that can last for longer than that, but um, not quite as long as we're thinking that a, a vaccine might last. So that's one of the advantages. The other is that with getting, trying to get a patient onto, especially naltrexone, you have to completely detoxify somebody who is opioid dependent. So, you know, a regular heroin user or oxycodone user um, has to be weaned off of those medications and then the naltrexone would be started. And that's a really difficult thing for a lot of patients to do. Um, buprenorphine as a partial agonist is also a little bit difficult to transition onto um, the medication because if you don't do it right, it can make a patient really sick. Um, so the vaccine theoretically doesn't have that um, problem. You know, it, the antibody levels will slowly increase and the, at least in the studies that, you know, we've done so far in rats, um, that doesn't seem to be an issue. 
So those are kind of a couple of couple of big advantages. Now, can you speak more about uh, more about the research and, and some of the so that when you talk about a vaccine and methodology, I think a lot about COVID. Uh, you know, the method of the current one is RNA and kind of last if finding out only so months. Is it similar? Is this a virus driven kind of vaccine that's then getting the res- immune response? So what what is what is triggering the immune response? What's kind of the uh, the molecule chemical or I'm not know of uh, the research terminology as the as the piece that's really doing the magic. Yeah, so um, the vaccine is composed of different uh, parts to it. So there's um, there's a haptin, which is uh, you know chemically very similar to oxycodone, um, and that's the that's the part that the um, you know the the body recognizes as you know needing to to target. There's a, um, a carrier protein that, that it's connected to. Um, the one that we're using is called KLH. It's keyhole um, limpet hemocyanide. And then there's um, another part of it that's called an adjuvant that kind of boosts the immune system. And the one we're using is um, called alum, um, you know, aluminum. And alum is a very kind of common adjuvant that's used in vaccines. So it's not similar to the, you know, COVID vaccines that you were just mentioning um, in that way, but it's, you know, it's, it's similar to some of the older, older vaccines that have been um, used clinically. Um, so the idea is that the body would generate an antibody that would specifically target um, the opioid that is part of the haptin. Um, <clears throat> the, the thing that's a little bit different with um, the opioid vaccine idea in contrast to something like the cocaine vaccine. So, you know, the, the vaccine is, is, is targeting a particular chemical structure. With cocaine, you know, that's fine because people use cocaine, you know, it's one chemical structure and the, you know, the antibodies would target that structure. With opioids, the chemical structures can be very different from one opioid to another. And even though they all kind of act at the new opioid receptor to produce their effects, the the chemical looks different. So oxycodone looks different from heroin, which looks very different from fentanyl. So with this approach, we, kind of knew from the beginning that we would um, need to take a, a multivalent approach. So that's what we're doing. We're developing an oxycodone vaccine, we're developing a heroin vaccine and a fentanyl vaccine. And the idea being that ultimately we would give, you know, all of the vaccines together to a patient to, you know, to help them with their with their disorder. The so that's Part of it is that's the downside of, you know, um, this opioid vaccine approach is we have to take this multivalent strategy. It's also an advantage in the sense that because it's so selective for the chemical structure, then it doesn't cross react with other opioids. So for example, it doesn't cross react with methadone or with buprenorphine or naltrexone. So theoretically, um, somebody can be maintained on one of the existing treatment medications that we know works, and then they can be vaccinated on top of that and provide additional um, protection. 
from, you know, experiencing the euphoric effects, which is what we're, you know, we're trying to um, avoid because that, you know, that that uh, will lead to increase the likelihood that they'll relapse. Um, and then also the thing that's really nice is that for all three of the, the currently approved treatment medications, after about six months of treatment, um, about 50% of the, the patients will relapse, you know, just over the course of treatment. So we're thinking that if we vaccinate a patient who's on buprenorphine, for example, they relapse after six months, hopefully the antibody levels will still be circulating and, and doing their thing. At the very least, it could prevent, you know, somebody from overdosing um, during that time period. Um, well, and it can provide us maybe with a window of time that we can re-engage someone in treatment. So, so this medication specifically, or the, I should say the vaccine, it, it, so it kind of does what it needs to do so not to have the euphoric fearing, uh, feeling, but it also blocks in a sense or inhibits the sedative or parasympathetic response? Yes, because those are centrally mediated. And, um, and because it doesn't allow the opioid to get into the brain, um, all of the effects that are produced by the opioid should be equally affected. So, um, you know, the, the worry that we have, you know, clinically um, is one of the most worrisome is the, um, you know, respiratory depression from an overdose. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. With regard to, I, I could, you know, the excitement of hearing something like this is, you know, you look forward to seeing the studies as, as an adjuvant. Does it help, uh, which I'm sure you're excited about, uh, as it does, it does it improve outcomes by the addition too? Is it a standalone? There's a lot of exciting things to, to see what comes with this. And and I wonder, you know, the cost ultimately and, and even beyond the U.S., right? Those, uh, uh, is this a costly vaccine? You know, because often we've had someone on from Canada about a specific medication and his research is looking at drugs outside, typically in the U.S. because they're not necessarily cost effective in other countries. What is what does this look like? Uh, or we're not even at to that point. We're really not even at at that point yet. Um, you know, we're still we're still manipulating the, the vaccine itself. I mean, we're we're testing it in people right now. We 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 started with the oxycodone vaccine. Um, because at, at the time when we were making this decision, um, oxycodone just numbers wise was the most prevalent uh, uh, opioid that was, was being used. Um, <clears throat> things have shifted you know, um, uh, over time and now fentanyl is very commonly used and, and that one is a lot more, seems to be a lot more toxic than the other opioids because you, know, you, you look at the, uh, fentanyl-related uh, overdose deaths, and that's the most prominent uh, substance that's found in, in people who have, who have died from an overdose. So, um, so you know, we, we've started with oxycodone, and uh, we're, um, we're trying to optimize the, you know, the effectiveness of it, and we're collaborating with a group in, um, led by Jay Evans at, at the University of um, Montana, who um, has been developing different adjuvants. And, you know, like I mentioned um, before, the adjuvant that we're using now is alum, um, but he has a, a whole bunch of other adjuvants that may be more effective than alum in generating a good um, immune response. 
So we're still, you know, um, in, you know, we're in clinical testing, which is great, but we're still um, haven't completely finalized the, the, uh, you know, the components of the vaccine. And just, just want to mention too, because I, I realized that I didn't say this earlier and I should have, but um, the, the uh, investigator who is really leading this project is Marco Prevatoni. He is a, a professor in the uh, University of Washington. And he's the one who, um, you know, trained with Paul Pintel, the, the uh, uh, investigator who developed the nicotine vaccine. Um, but Marco has taken over the, the whole program and because Paul, Paul retired and um, has done all of the, you know, uh, development of the vaccine, you know, um, all the preclinical testing of it in rats. And he's, he's just really, really great. And um, so I uh, wanted to give credit where credit is due for sure <laughs> in that regard. Um, and the thing that I also wanted to mention is being really important in this approach is that, so the nicotine and the cocaine vaccines that I mentioned earlier, they both made it to phase three testing. Um, you know, so it was kind of like fairly late stage um, clinical testing, but both of them ultimately failed um, because there was a lot of variability um, across in between subjects or subjects, patients who um, in, in terms of their uh, immune response to the antibodies or to the vaccines. So, you know, some of the patients who received the nicotine and the cocaine vaccines generated a really um, strong uh, immune response. So their antibody levels are very high. Other patients had a very modest or, or mild um, antibody response. So when the clinical data were um, evaluated as a, as a whole, there was no significant difference from the control placebo condition, right? So both, both failed in phase three testing. Um, but we know that of the top third of the patients in both, both of the um, vaccine uh, studies, that generated the really high antibody levels, they did show a, a good clinical response. So conceptually, it was successful, right? Sure. Um, so one of the things that we're doing, and this is something that, that Marco has demonstrated in his rats, is, is we're looking for a biomarker that can kind of tell us which patients might be good responders to the vaccine. So what um, Marco has been focusing on in, in his rat studies is B cell activity, right? Because that's important to the immune response. And what he has been able to demonstrate in the rats is that the, um, the animals that had um, high B cell activity prior to vaccination were also the animals that showed a really strong immune response. So there was a really nice, significant correlation there. So we're looking at B cell activity in our, our research participants that are um, getting the vaccine. So we've gotten um, B cell, we've me we're measuring B cell activity before vaccination and then at various points afterwards. And we're hoping to see the same kind of correlation that 
Marco saw in, in his rats. So <clears throat> if it turns out that we can find a really reliable biomarker, then that means that once we get to phase three testing, we can, you know, um, pre-screen patients who might be good responders based on their B cell activity. Um, and so basically we can enrich our population with the patients who we feel might be really good um, responders to the vaccine and hopefully show that there's a significant difference between the control and the active vaccine. That'd be like designer uh, vaccine, you're getting really specific. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. so it's very much like um, individualized or precision medicine, you know, that we're kind of going for. Real biohacker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. well, no, I'm sure a lot of therapists and mental health clinicians who are listening uh, today are, you know, um, really interested in this being an additional piece, um, you know, for the clients that they work with. Who, which could really, you know, help change a lot of lives. So that's really incredible, the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're we're very excited about it because we think it's very promising, and you know, it it has a, you know, it has a lot of uh, interesting clinical applications, not only for people who are currently, um, you know, experiencing opioid use opioid use disorder, but you know, theoretically, it can be used for um, you know, uh, as a preventive uh, approach. So if you think of, you know, somebody who might be at very high risk of developing the disorder, you know, that might be good for them. Um, you know, there's, there's potential for use among first responders, you know. Um, we know that, uh, that drugs like fentanyl and carfentanil um, have been used in, uh, you know, in, combat kind of like situations. Um, do you know, do, were you guys familiar with the Chechen rebels that uh, held um, a theater, uh, people in, in, Russia. Theater mm -hmm. in Moscow? Yeah. And um, so the, the authorities um, decided to use this gas to immobilize the, um, the, uh, hostage the takers, the yeah. rebels, yeah, and um, and unfortunately, of course, they also uh, anesthetized the the hostages. And the idea was that they would have naloxone or Narcan to reverse the overdose. But uh, unfortunately, you know, quite a lot of people died in that situation. But it it demonstrated actually that you can use carfentanil um, in this way as a you know to for to cause mass casualties. Um, so, you know, you could potentially um, vaccinate the, you know, soldiers or military personnel to, to help protect them against this possibility. It's a gas mask without the gas mask. Right. Straight out, <laughs> straight out of the show 24, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite the defense medication. Yeah, I yeah. Would, would have really liked that, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for your time. This was really interesting and we look forward to continuing and to follow your research and, you know, see how, what the outcome is. back are. once you're concluded. Yeah, I'd like to hear Please. the Yeah, that's, we definitely, definitely would love to do that. And um, just want to also acknowledge uh, the National Institute on Drug Abuse for funding this research. You know, it's, uh, 
it absolutely would not be possible without their support. So keep funding. Thank you. <laughs> And thanks so much to our listeners for this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. We thank Dr. Sandy Comer for joining us, and we hope you all stay safe and healthy. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast. Check out our website at cbrcenterforeducation.com for more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events.